This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Tuesday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate a few minutes of your time this morning. A little bit of a a grab bag this morning. Not uh, a a quiet day, really, in the uh, world of sports, with the exception of the Monday night football game last night. Uh, not a lot going on. My my wife said I could spend the next hour talking about her if I wanted to do that. I didn't figure you guys wanted to me to do that. So a uh, uh, few things. Uh, obviously, first on everybody's lips these days. And it's so funny how, and, and I, you know, look, I'm not saying this is any kind of a conspiracy, but it's so strange. The second the election was over, and my wife said this, is, she said, well, the, you know, the day after the election, you know, or, or a couple of days after the election, they're just going to move on to the coronavirus, and that's all we're going to talk about instead of the election, and that's pretty much it. But rightly so, when you look at the numbers continue to go up, and in the last 24 hours, we have had governors across this country uh, backing up, reversing course. Uh, California has, uh, as the uh, governor there, Gavin Newsom, said, pulling the emergency brake uh, inst- uh, on efforts to reopen the economy now uh they're shutting down uh on non-essential businesses restaurants are going to be no longer allowed to have customers uh uh you know in the store it's going to be all takeout uh masks have to be worn outside the home even in your when you're walking on the streets not you know this isn't just in the stores they got to have it if you're if you're walking around outside um it's you know, it's bad. Pennsylvania shut down dining. Uh, New Jersey doing the same thing. Chicago is stay-at-home order. Uh, and uh, Washington State shutting down everything. Uh, New Mexico doing the same thing. Uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer has shut down schools. Uh, high schools and colleges said no more in-person learning. Uh, so... You know, and this is, a, you know, on the heels of the news of the, the vaccines that seem so promising. But, you know, it's crazy. In the last, well, the last month or the last couple of weeks, we're averaging 1,100 deaths a day in this country from the coronavirus. It's, you know, it's whether, whether no matter what side of the political aisle you're on, you know, you can't deny the numbers when there are that many people. It's an increase by the way, since early October, deaths, daily deaths have increased by 50% in a month. I, you know, this is, this is scary stuff. Uh, you know, and then people across the country trying to figure out what to do about Thanksgiving. A lot of people have canceled Thanksgiving. My wife and I haven't canceled it, but we are taking precautions. But it's going to be a small gathering. There's only going to be, I think, uh, five of us. 
So it's not like there's going to be some, you know, big gathering at our house and everybody's the same way. It was a story that today show this morning, you know, where families are adjusting how many people they're having for Thanksgiving. They can't find small turkeys. I actually had that problem. I went out and got our turkey, you know, the other day. I couldn't find anything in the case that was less than like 15 pounds. I had to get a 15 pound turkey for three people. We're going to be eating turkey leftovers forever. But what are you going to do? So, you know, it's just, uh, and of course, it's affecting the sports world as well. Connecticut now, there is a, a, um, a meeting today and a vote going on today about what to do about high school sports. As of right now, here in the state of Connecticut, our positivity rate is about 5%. You know, it's not anywhere near as bad as it is in other places in the country. But to look at the, you know, just a month ago, a month and a half ago, we were at, you know, 1% or 1.5%. Now we're at a little over five. So the plan still here in the state of Connecticut is to start practices for basketball uh, and hockey and swimming on December 5th and competitions would begin on December the 17th for those sports. And uh, basketball would be permitted to play uh, 16 games, regular season games. The state tournament would run February 15th to the 28th. Uh, same thing with girls basketball. But look, you know, we can make all the plans we want right now. But if this thing explodes even farther, I mean, it could be, you know, all of it could end. Uh, players are going to be required to wear masks. If you're playing basketball, you're wearing a mask. If you're playing hockey, you're wearing a mask while you're playing. Now, they're going to add extra timeouts uh, that won't be charged to either team so that players can change their masks. Uh, it, it's it's going to be weird. Uh, they are not going to allow wrestling. That just seems wise to me. I mean, I, <laughs> even if you have a mask on while you're wrestling, it's not going to stay on. And talk about close contact. Uh, so there's be no wrestling. Uh, there's not going to be any indoor track, at least, and gymnastics as of at least right now. So that's where we're at here in the state. And in colleges, the Northeast Conference, which uh, Central Connecticut, Sacred Heart University, uh, in our state are in the Northeast Conference. Quinnipiac also uh, in our state. They play in the MAC. But the Northeast Conference has revised their schedule. Uh, what they're going to do now, normally in the Northeast Conference, and, and most conferences, you play a home-and-home home series against the other teams. You know, you play one game at home, and then somewhere down the road, you're going to play a game uh, on the road against that team. Well, now what the NEC is doing is you're going to play two games against each team, but it is going to be in one place. So you are going to like, for instance, central Connecticut will open up its NEC schedule, um, at Fairleigh Dickinson university in New Jersey on December 8th and 9th, they will play two games at Fairleigh Dickinson on the 8th and 9th. Uh, sacred hearts going to do the same thing. Their first two games will be at home, but again, back to back games on Friday, Saturday against the same opponent. I think that's smart. I think it's smart. Um, they're going to leave the whole fan issue up to the individual schools. It's going to depend on state rules, whether they'll be allowed or not. I would think in most places, 
Uh, they're not going to be, or it's going to be families only. Of course, at the University of Connecticut, they're only allowing, I think, four tickets per player and coach. So you're going to have, you know, a couple of hundred people at a game. That's what it's going to be. That's what it's going to be. But it's better than no season at all. And what the NEC has also done, their normal conference tournaments for men's and women's basketball have eight teams. They're going to cut it down to four this year, and all the games will take place at the home of the higher seed. Again, I think it's smart, limiting travel. You can put everybody you know, in a, a quote-unquote bubble for that period of time and you know, limit the amount of exposure. Now, the NCAA has announced that they are planning to have the entire men's basketball championships at one site, most likely Indianapolis. The final four was already scheduled to be at Indianapolis in April. And that's, by the way, where the NCAA headquarters is. Uh, But now they're planning on having all 68 teams come to one venue. Uh, and, and it will be run over the course of three weeks. And it is, as the NCAA said, it is a, uh, it's a, a safer and more responsible way to manage, you know, that kind of environment. Similar to what they're doing here at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut, where they're having what they call Bubbleville. And they're going to be bringing in teams that will stay on site, that, uh, their, their access to practices and meetings and games will be in quarters that are not open to the public, so they won't be exposed to anybody outside of their team. So the NCA is going to do the same thing for uh, March Madness, you know, in hopes that they can have a March Madness. Because look, they lost their shirts last year. You know, not having the the men's and women's basketball tournaments last year cost the NCA a lot of money, and they probably, you know, look, I. Unless this vaccine, they get enough doses out to make it safer for people to come to these games, they may be 68 teams playing in Indianapolis in front of nobody but the TV cameras. And at the end of the day, as I said, it's better than nothing at all. But I think I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. I think it it gives it's probably the best idea uh, to allow them uh, to to have the tournament. Now, college football continues to dance on a razor's edge here. The University of Miami, which currently is ranked 12th in the country, for whatever that means with the rankings this year, uh, their final three games have all had to be rescheduled. Uh, This all happened yesterday because of the number of COVID-19 cases in their program. So the ACC has had to shuffle six games in the final month of the season. They were supposed to play at Georgia Tech this weekend. They have now moved that to December 19th, which is the date of the ACC championship game. Uh, their game against Wake Forest has been moved a week later. Their game against North Carolina that was supposed to be uh, on the 5th has now been moved to December 12th. So they have shuffled all kinds of things around. Um, Texas A&M has had to postpone another game this week uh, for the second straight week. Uh, They've only got 
one active case supposedly on the team, but the numbers of players available to practice, they said, was in the 40s because of people having to quarantine. So they couldn't even practice uh, with a full team. So they just don't feel that they could be prepared to play. Uh, So they didn't play at Tennessee last week, and uh, their game this week has also been postponed um, at Marshall. So, and look, the, the SEC is a mess. They've already had eight games postponed. Uh, they're going to try to make up the Texas A&M Ole Miss game uh, on December 19th, which is the date of the league championship game as well. Um, but every conference is dealing with this. It's only going to take one more big outbreak for a team, and the the whole national championship picture could come tumbling down like a house of cards. I mean, you look at it now, I mean, the, the Big Ten has had games postponed. They have teams that are in danger of not being able to play six games this year, which is the minimum needed, they said, to qualify for the conference championship. I mean, it's this could all come tumbling down in a minute. You know, and there are already people calling for, hey, look, why don't we just, you know, throw the flag, say it's over, and, and call it a day. You know, I, I don't think we're, you know, we need to do that yet, but we're getting to that. Um, one uh, college player, and, you know, his team is, is not having a very good year, but uh, uh, Javian Hawkins, who is the leading rusher for the University of Louisville, has decided that he is going to opt out of the rest of the season. Frankly, I'm surprised that there haven't been more players on some of these teams opting out now. Um, the kids, a uh, Hawkins is a red shirt sophomore and he said that he is opting out of the remainder of the season because he wants to prepare for the NFL draft. So he's done in college. Obviously he did not play in their game on Saturday when they lost to Virginia 31, 17, uh, the Louisville coach said it was related to COVID-19. Well, yeah, it was. He's just decided he doesn't want to play. He said he talked to his family and just decided he was going to opt out. He's got 822 yards rushing this year in eight games, seven touchdowns. Uh, he said he is going to finish the fall semester and then he's done with school <laughs> that he's just going to uh, finish the semester and then turn his full attention to, uh, the draft that's coming up in the spring. So, you know, look, I can't blame him. And as I said, I am kind of surprised we haven't seen more players do this. You know, because you can use, and I don't want to say use it as an excuse, but you can use the coronavirus as an excuse and just say, hey, you know, but it's more about probably the kids thinking, you know what, we're two and six. I'm not going anywhere. I don't want to get hurt. The coronavirus is the perfect excuse for me just to call it a day. I'm surprised other guys haven't done that. Uh, And and in the midst of where we have all these national shutdowns going down uh, this week, uh, Vanderbilt University in Nashville yesterday announced that they are actually going to allow fans for Vanderbilt's uh, final two home football games. They're going to – not a lot of fans. They're going to allow – parents and relatives of the athletes and a – a, a small number of graduate and undergraduate students to come to the games. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I uh, anybody coming was going to have to, you know, wear a mask and, you know, there's, they're going to, you know, seat everybody far apart, but Vanderbilt is going to allow 
uh, some fans in. Uh, Indiana State University, Butler University have announced, by the way, that when the basketball season begins on November 25th, there will be no fans. I will be shocked if there are any college teams or high school teams, in the case of the state of Connecticut, that allow fans, at least in the beginning until the virus starts rolling out. You know, maybe towards the end of the season when we get into February and maybe the the, uh, the vaccines are, are out, maybe then we'll see fans at, at high school and college basketball games. But I will be shocked if schools allow anything beyond perhaps, say, family members. Totally shocked. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'm looking into when I have contacted uh, the athletic directors at local high schools, uh, we normally broadcast games for uh, Xavier and Mercy High School here in Middletown, Connecticut, and Cromwell High School, which is just down the road. Uh, I have reached out to the athletic directors from all the schools and said, hey, um, you know, I know we're going to play. I, I'm guessing you're not going to allow fans, you know, is it still viable for us to come in and broadcast games? I mean, I may, you know, if they're not going to allow fans, having the ability to broadcast a game could bring the games to other people, so they might be more amenable to it. It may mean that if I'm going to broadcast, I have to do it with a mask on. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Uh, but I guess if it's uh, if it's do it with a mask or not do it at all, I'm sure that uh, I will make that decision. But, um, but I will be surprised if any high school's or colleges allow fans, you know, outside of maybe, maybe parents. You know, I could see maybe in high school that two people could come for for each kid. You know, the mom and dad could come, and that's it. You know, I'll be surprised if they allow anything beyond that because if you if you do, you're just you're just uh, as the old Molly Hatchet song goes, you're flirting with disaster. And you know, is it worth it? You know, because the second there's an outbreak and then, you know, people are going to start pointing fingers, better safe than sorry. Just, you know, let them play, you know, let them wear their masks, let them play. But, you know, why risk anything more than you have to? Just my personal opinion. It is 25 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the wake-up call. It's uh, 27 minutes past the hour here on a Tuesday morning. Uh, so news came down yesterday, and it was uh, the worst possible news. Well, maybe not the worst possible news, but it was bad news uh, for the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees, their starting quarterback, um, has been diagnosed with multiple rib fractures and a collapsed right lung. Um, he took an absolute crushing hit on Sunday from uh, Catavius Street from the San Francisco 49ers in the second quarter uh, and and actually only missed two plays, came back into the game, finished the first half, and then could not. He went into the locker room and just told Sean Payton, I, you know, I can't play. And so Jameis Winston, uh, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer starting quarterback, took over for him, controlled the game well against a bad 49ers team, and they ended up winning at 27-13. But now Breeze is going to be out. Um, I would guess, I would guess until probably at least three weeks. 
maybe more, at least a month, you would think. The good news is, is if you're a Saints fan, they have a pretty easy schedule for the next three weeks. Two of their next three games are against the three and six Atlanta Falcons. And in between that, uh, they play the three and six Denver Broncos. Now, make no mistake, you know, Drew Brees is 41, but he's still an elite quarterback. He is still one of the best, uh, you know, five or six quarterbacks, I believe, in the NFL. Maybe you could argue maybe a little bit lower than that, you know, but uh, his numbers have been spectacular this year. They have a lot of weapons. I mean, obviously, Alvin Kamara uh, can do everything, but, you know, he's, he's Michael Thomas is back. He's got uh, some great weapons offensively. If Jameis Winston has to step in, the Saints could probably still win all three of those games. Maybe maybe they go two and one in those three games. But, you know, the chances are they're going to win at two out of the three. Uh, they're in a dogfight now with the uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks. New Orleans right now at seven and two. The Bucks are at seven and three. But New Orleans has beaten Tampa Bay twice. So they can afford a stumble here. And, you know, even if they end up tied with the Buccaneers for the conference or for the division lead, New Orleans has the tiebreaker. So they've got a little room to play with here. And we've seen Jameis Winston when he was in Tampa Bay. He could put up some ridiculous numbers. But he also could throw a ridiculous number of interceptions. I mean, this is a guy that (laughs) threw 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions in the same season. So, so, you know, uh, what they're going to have to do, you know, Sean Payton is going to have to dial down this offense and keep it uh, simple so that they're not asking Winston to try to do too much. And when you've got Alvin Kamara and when you've got Michael Thomas and you've got uh, Jared Cook and, you know, you've got guys that you can rely on, they don't need to open up the playbook here. And, by the way, they still have Taysom Hill a guy who takes some snaps uh, at quarterback sometimes, even when Drew Brees is healthy, um, you know, may also uh, take a few extra snaps with, you know, depending on how Winston does. So they can survive this, but there's no doubt that if you're a Saints fan, this is crushing news. So uh, the Saints have not officially uh, – Announced this yet, by the way. It came. It was reported by ESPN. Um, but with the next three weeks, you could. I think you can almost guarantee he's not playing in either one of the Falcon games. He's not playing against Denver. And then you see what happens. But, you know, uh, for, for cracked ribs, you know, that's one of those things that, you know, there's not a lot you can do. They just have to heal on their own, and I'm sure they'll fit him with a you know a flak jacket and everything else. But you've got to think he's out three weeks, you know, and especially at age 41, you don't bounce back the way you used to, you know. Not that he's ancient. I mean, compared to me, he's still a kid. I'm you know I'm 60. You know, if it happened to me, I'm <laughs> I'm probably laid up for for months, uh, you know. So, uh, but you you can guarantee he's out probably a month. And if the Saints can go three and one, even two and two over that time, they still put themselves in great shape 
to if they can survive him being out for four weeks and they go two and two, that's a win, as far as I'm concerned. You know, and maybe they and again, Winston's got the ability, uh, you know, to perhaps, you know, win them all. Why not? You know, if they can dial down that offense enough so that they don't they don't ask him to do too much. Uh, Monday night football last night. God, the Bears offense is just terrible. Just terrible. I mean, they win the they 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 uh they lose the game last night, nineteen thirteen. And it wasn't like the Vikings uh were that great. It's just that the Bears offense is terrible. And it gets worse for the Bears because Nick Foles uh, appeared to sustain some kind of an injury in the fourth quarter in that final drive with about a minute to go. He gets drilled. They have to take him off the field on a cart. And they said it is some kind of a hip and leg injury. So, you know, uh, calling Mitch Trubisky, and we know, you know, how that went the last time. But their offense is just dreadful they managed just two field goals in the first half their only touchdown wasn't even an offensive touchdown it came on a uh, a quarter rail patterson 104 yard kickoff return by the way that that guy's unbelievable that's the eighth kickoff return for a touchdown in his career it's a franchise record it broke the record of 103 yards set by the one and only gail sayers uh back in uh, 1967 but even before Foles got hurt last night, he was 15 for 26 for 106 yards and, a, and an interception. You know, it's awful. Uh, you know, they it, they couldn't run the ball at all. I mean, it was uh, they had uh, total offense last night for the Chicago Bears, 149 yards of total offense. That's just, uh, that's gross. You know, and look, Kirk Cousins, was Kirk Cousins? He, you know, he's twenty-five or thirty-six, two hundred ninety-two yards, couple of touchdowns. Of course, he threw an interception. Dalvin Cook really won this game for the Vikings. Thirty carries, ninety-six yards. Uh, Jefferson last night caught eight of the twenty-five completions by Cousins. He had eight catches for one hundred and thirty-five yards. But Adam Thielen with a couple of uh, touchdown receptions, and uh, the Vikings did just enough. Um, and, and look. Uh, you know, Dan Bailey with a couple of field goals. Uh, you know, the matter of fact, his second field goal tied the game at 13. I mean, that's how bad the Vikings were. They didn't put this thing away until about 10 minutes to go when when uh, Cousins hit Thielen for on a six-yard reception for a touchdown. But the Vikings, despite, you know, kind of stumbling their way through that game last night, they've won three in a row. You know, and if you're Chicago who had dreams of perhaps, you know, Making the playoffs, you fall to five and five. You're now two games, two and a half games actually behind the Green Bay Packers. And now you've got Detroit and Minnesota both breathing down your necks. And there's not look, it, the wild card's not coming out of the NFC North. You know, the wild cards are coming out of the NFC South. Either Tampa or New Orleans is getting a wild card. And then in the NFC West, you've got Arizona, the Rams, and Seattle all tied at six and three. So, you know, it's going to be the Green Bay Packers out of the NFC North, and that's it. You know, any chance I think that the Bears had of making the playoffs went out the window last night, and especially 
if this injury to Foles turns out to be anything serious. There's no word on it. Uh, they didn't say anything after the game. Um, uh, you know, now, you know, the good news for the Bears is they have a bye this week. So if it's not anything too serious, you know, hopefully Foles that week off will uh, uh, will allow him uh, to heal up a little bit before they have to visit the Green Bay Packers on the 29th of November, which, by the way, ought to be nice and warm. Uh, and the Vikings, uh, they've got a big game next week. They host the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. Uh, it's not so much big for the Vikings because, I don't. again, unless they run the table, they're not making the playoffs. But it's a huge game for Dallas in the uh, NFC least as they trail uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. This is amazing. The Dallas Cowboys are 2-7, and seven, and they're only a game out of, the, out of the division lead. It's just ludicrous. Uh, other NFL news from yesterday, the Kansas City Chiefs signed uh, – uh, their head coach, Andy Reid, and their general manager, Brett Veach, to contract extensions. Uh, no shock there, the success that they've had, the success the success that they are going to continue to have with this young team. Uh, they didn't announce how long the, you know, the extensions were for, but, you know, those guys weren't going anywhere. That, that would be like, you know, the Patriots in the middle of, uh, you know, Tom Brady's success. Uh, you know, not locking up Bill Belichick as their head coach of, <laughs> for the foreseeable future. You know, I mean, that just would be stupid. Uh, so anyway, so that's the news out of the NFL uh, yesterday. Uh, we had some baseball news yesterday. Uh, you know, in an interesting move, the Cleveland Indians, uh, Cleveland Indians, the San Diego Padres, I'm thinking Mike Clevenger, and uh, he's not with the Indians anymore. He's with the Padres. The Padres yesterday uh, signed Mike Clevenger to a two-year deal for $11.5 million. And that's knowing that Clevenger is going to miss this this next season. He has to have Tommy John surgery. They had hoped that he wasn't going to need it. And if you remember, he got hurt on one of their uh, on their last game of the season. They called it an elbow impingement. So he sat out the wild card series against St. Louis. He came back and tried to pitch in the opener in the NFL, NL Division Series against the Dodgers. And uh, they removed him in the second inning. And uh, the Padres had hoped that he would be able to avoid surgery, but that's not going to be the case. He said he's had uh, multiple MRIs, met with doctors, and uh, he's got to have surgery. Now, look, he already had Tommy John surgery. He had it when he was in the minor leagues when he first uh, came into pro baseball. So now he's having a second procedure. Uh, now, what this does, look, the, the Padres had him locked up anyway. Uh, he had two years of uh, arbitration left before he becomes a free agent. So all this really does is it buys out the two years of uh, arbitration that he would have, and the Padres are guessing that the $11.5 million they're going to give him is less probably or comparable to what he would have gotten in arbitration. So, uh, you know, and, and I think the other part of this for the Padres is that they're hoping that this builds some goodwill. By Clevenger getting this surgery now, it means that he will be available for the 2022 season, 
probably right when the season starts. I mean, they say 12 to 18 months for Tommy John surgery. If he gets that surgery now, by the time the start of the 2022 season comes, he will have been 16, 17 months out. He'll be ready to go perhaps for opening day in 2022. And I think the Padres are looking at and they look at him and they say, hey, look, um, we took care of you when you had the – you know, the Tommy John issue, we made sure that you had, uh, you know, a paycheck. You know, we didn't have to go to arbitration. So they're hoping that when it comes time for him to become a free agent, that they'll have a chance to sign him to a longer-term extension, perhaps before he reaches free agency. Uh, maybe when he comes back for 2022, they extend that contract. But, you know, no guarantee of that. But, I, you know, I, if I'm the Padres – that's probably exactly what I'm thinking. Um, another free agent signing yesterday. The, you know, now the fact that the Atlanta Braves signed Drew Smiley yesterday isn't necessarily a surprise. Um, you know, they had some so a lot of injuries last year. They had some guys that didn't perform very well. Uh, but what surprised me was they gave him eleven million bucks for one year. Now, this is a guy who only pitched in seven games last season for the Giants, made five starts. He went 0-1 with an ERA of 3.42, which, you know, those numbers aren't, you know, horrific. But I guess what impressed the Braves uh, was that he seemed to be throwing harder and his strikeout ratio was really good. But they, I mean, look, uh, he's never made more than $7 million a year. Drew Smiley. He has never won more than nine games in a season in his career. And yet the Braves have decided to give him 11 million bucks for one year. So, uh, you know, you know, and this is after look, Mike Fulton, had a, had a bad year last year, you know, a huge drop in velocity. Uh, you know, they had a bunch of injuries, you know, Cole Hamels signed that big deal and uh, then ended up uh, pitching just one game because of injuries, and he missed the playoffs. So, you know, the more pitchers you have, the better. But $11 bucks for a guy, uh, you know, that's never won more than nine games it just seemed odd to me. But the hell do I know? Smiley's career record, by the way, 35-35, and 35, a career ERA of 4.13. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will get you 11 million bucks a year from the Atlanta Braves. God, I wish I had been born a left-handed starting pitcher. Just saying. 43 minutes past the hour. we got to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Tuesday morning. Um, Lindy McDaniel died yesterday. Unless you're old like me, you probably don't know who Lindy McDaniel is. But um, Lindy McDaniel pitched in over a thousand games in the major leagues over 21 seasons. Uh, he started his career, uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, in 1955 when he was only 19 years old. Uh, a couple of years later, he won 19 or won uh, 15 games as a starter and then moved to the bullpen and spent the rest of his career, um, as a bullpen arm. He pitched, uh, eight years with St. Louis. He pitched with the Yankees for six years. Uh, and also spent time with the Cubs, uh, the Giants, and the uh, Kansas City Royals. 
Uh, had a career ERA of 3.45, 174 saves. I mean, you know, this is a guy that when he retired uh, had pitched in the second most number of games in Major League Baseball history. He had 987 big league games when he retired. The only person when he retired that uh, when he retired in 1975 that had pitched in more was Hoyt Wilhelm, uh, the great uh, reliever for the Baltimore Orioles, uh, St. Louis Browns. Uh, you know, this was uh, this was a guy that was a workhorse. So he died uh, yesterday at the age of 84 uh, of the coronavirus. Uh, he actually he retired. He actually became a Christian minister and uh, preached in his hometown of uh, Hollis, Oklahoma, and then later in Texas. Uh, his daughter, in a statement to the Associated Press, said his dad, that her dad had been uh, ill for about four weeks. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, the coronavirus got him, as it has gotten so many, especially uh, the older members of our community. So uh, uh, Lenny McDaniel passes away at the age of 84. Um, I'm going to finish this morning the Hall of Fame ballot has come out for uh, this coming year. Uh, members of the Baseball Writers Association of America have until December the 31st to submit their Hall of Fame ballot. They can vote for as many as uh, 10 people. Um, and, you know, the people you would, the, the leading candidates to get in this year are probably... Uh, Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, and Barry Bonds. I would imagine those are the guys that are going to get the most traction. Now, Bonds and Clemens are on for their ninth year. You can only be on the ballot for 10 years. Now, we know how controversial Clemens and Bonds have been because of their ties to PEDs. Uh, Clemens denies ever using them. Bond says he never knowingly did it. He he was caught with some PEDs, but he said that he has no idea how he got them. And so he said he never knowingly did it, but he was tied to the whole Balco thing. Uh, you know, Clemens, uh, you know, was basically found, you know, not guilty of lying to Congress when he denied using PEDs because nobody can prove it. And I will say Roger Clemens was never suspended for PEDs. You know, guys that have been, you know, know that, that have admitted it or have been suspended for it, to me, automatically disqualify themselves. Well, Clemens and Bonds are not disqualified in my mind because of that. Uh, Andy Pettit, disqualified. He got caught. He got suspended for PEDs. You know, it was a human growth hormone, but he got suspended for it. So as far as I'm concerned, he's out. Uh, Manny Ramirez, great hitter, got suspended twice because he's a moron. He's out. Sammy Sosa is a guy that you know did it. And even with the PED performance, Sammy Sosa wasn't a Hall of Fame player. You know, he hit a lot of home runs, but so what? You know, he's he goes into the Mark McGuire school. So, uh, so those guys, to me, out. But Bonds and Clemens, I think both belong in because I and I look at this and I say, look, 
you know, you look at their careers, you know, before their bodies change. And that's when everybody thinks that, you know, they started using PEDs because they just, they transformed their bodies. And now we know Clemens had, and Bonds both had ridiculous workout regimens. So, you know, you know, and they would tell you that that's why they bulked up. They would tell you it wasn't PEDs. That's what they would tell you. And, and how do we know? But what I do know is even the skinny Barry Bonds and the skinny Roger Clemens put up Hall of Fame num- were going to put up Hall of Fame numbers. They were getting in whether they use PEDs or not, in my opinion. In my opinion. So I think they get in. Kurt Schilling, polarizing figure. You know, Donald Trump supporter. A guy who has said some outrageous things. A guy that you could say is a reprehensible human being. Now, I don't know about that. I mean, I still, he's still a good father. I'm sure he's still a good husband. Uh, and, and you know, a guy that unfortunately, I mean, I, I kind of liked him, you know, until he got out of baseball and started saying some absolutely stupid things. But Kurt Schilling's numbers tell you that he probably belongs in the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, his regular season numbers alone, 216 wins, 146 losses, career ERA of uh, 3.46. This is a guy that struck out over 3,000 people in his career. That is a high, that's a mark that not many pitchers have reached. He only walked 70, 711 people, 3,100 Ks and 700 walks. Kurt Schilling, I mean, his his career walks and hits to innings pitch is 1.13. That is unbelievable. He had two years uh, where he put up uh, whip numbers under one. In 1992, when he went 14 and 11, think about that. He went 14 and 11, but through 226 innings, he only allowed 165 hits. He had a whip of 0.99 that year. And in 19, I mean, in 2002 with Arizona, he went 23 and 7. His whip was 0.96. How about here's a number for you? He struck out 316 guys that year, walked 33. People don't do that. That's, that's crazy. You know, and then, so his regular season numbers alone tell you he belongs in. But then move to what he did in the postseason in his career. This puts him over the top. 11 and 2 in the postseason in 19 career games. 11 and 2. ERA of 2.23. In postseason play, he had a whip of 0.96. He struck out 120, walked 25. 133 innings pitched in the postseason, 104 hits. You know, look, you know, it just. Craziness, crazy numbers. You know, won the World Series for the Red Sox. You know, everybody's going to remember the bloody sock game. You know, but 2007, they win it over Colorado. 2004, they win it over St. Louis. You know, he was the MVP of the World Series for Arizona in 2001. When they beat the Yankees. I mean, you look at, at, at this guy's postseason numbers and it puts him over the top. You know, and we we have to put aside 
his personality because the Hall of Fame is not about personality. He didn't do anything to cheat the game. You know, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't gamble. He didn't use PEDs. He played the game the right way and he played it well. He may be an a-hole now. Well, he's probably an a-hole then, but, you know, we find out more about, you know, his character now, but it doesn't disqualify him from getting in. Look, there's a lot of racists in the Hall of Fame. Ty Cobb was a racist. He's in the Hall of Fame. And there's, you know, there's many racists in the Hall of Fame. There's already people that have used PEDs in the Hall of Fame. They just didn't get caught. So we have to put his personality aside. He belongs in the Hall of Fame. So in my mind, those three guys get in. Now, they're going to have to make a jump. I mean, look, Schilling was close last year. He got 70%. He was 20 votes shy of getting in. So he's getting in this year. Clemens would have to make the jump from 61% to 75. I think it's possible. This is a weak class. Uh, Barry Bonds has to make a jump from 60% to 75. But I think that they, they if they don't get in this year, they're getting in next year. They would have been in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot except for the smell of, of PEDs around them. You know, other guys that, that, you know, there's a couple of guys I believe uh, belong in. I've said all along, I think that Jeff Kent belongs in. I don't know whether he'll he'll make it or not for whatever reason. Uh, you know, and some of it's his personality, I think. I think his numbers get overlooked. What he did as a second baseman uh, was impressive. I think that his he gets knocked as not being a great defender. I think that is overblown. He wasn't a bad defensive second baseman. You know, I would say he was average, but if you listen to a lot of guys, they would tell you that he was a below average second baseman. I'm telling you, I watched Jeff Kent play a lot. You know, and he was not a below average second baseman. I would say he was average. And look, his offensive numbers tell you he belongs in. You know, 2,500 career hits. He he hit 290 for his career. He was an MVP in 2000 when he hit 334. You know, I mean, this is a guy, you know, he was an MVP. Uh, he was an all-star seven times. Yeah, okay, he never won a gold glove, but this is a guy for his position. When you look at his position, he matches up very, very well. Another guy I think belongs in, Scott Rowland. Uh, Scott Rowland, with these new fangled stats they like to use, uh, and, and and I have a hard time understanding some of these, but when you look at this stat they have called defensive runs saved, Scott Rowland over his career, his defensive runs saved was uh, 175.4. Uh, that's ridiculous. 
you know, and when you match him up against other third basemen, uh, he matches up very, very well. So he's a guy I think belongs in. And, you know, they, they, they want to use uh, war as a statistic, you know, wins above replacement. Well, you know what? Take a look at uh, a guy that's in the Hall of Fame, Barry Larkin. Scott Rowland's war is the same as Barry Larkin's. Now, you know, now Larkin hit 295 for a career. Rowland still hit 281. You know, his career OPS was like 850, which is higher than Barry Larkin's. I granted, it's granted, it's shortstop versus third base, but it's still a guy at 316 career home runs. Uh, you know, this is a guy that I think is underrated. Another guy I think that needs to get some serious consideration, Andrew Jones. Great, great, great defensive center fielders. Now, how here's a you know, here's a stat for you. In Major League Baseball history, center fielders who have played at least 150 games in a season and hit 25 home runs. There's only two guys that have done this. Uh, on a consistent basis. Willie Mays did it 10 times, and guess what? So did Andrew Andrew Jones. Think about that for a second. 25 homers in 150 games played in center field. Willie Mays, Andrew Jones. It's crazy. Uh... He belongs in. You know, he's a guy, his offensive numbers, again, uh, you know, you look at defensive runs saved. 234 in his career. It's impressive as hell. You know, now his war is a little bit low. His war is only about 62, so that's lower than, say, you know, somebody like Scott Rowland. It's, it's about eight points lower. But, again, a guy I think is a borderline candidate. He deserves... More consideration. I think Billy Wagner should get in. Great closer for the Houston Astros. Uh, there's a lot of people trying to make a case for Gary Sheffield, and it, it, it's a good case. A guy who hit 292 in his career, had an OPS of 907 for his career. You know, uh, 509 career home runs, 1,600 runs batted in. You know, Gary Sheffield belongs in the Hall of Fame. He's got to get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you know, we've reached a point where, I mean, you look at this guy's numbers, 500 home runs. That was automatic Hall of Fame, so I don't even know why there's a debate. You know, Sheffield has got to get in. Uh, Another guy that, uh, another pitcher that I think that needs to get some consideration, Tim Hudson. He's first year on the ballot. This is a guy that in his career, uh, won 222 games, had a career ERA of 3.49. You know, 222 wins is a lot of wins. You know, we're, we're past the point where guys are going to win 300 games anymore. So I think Tim Hudson's another guy that, that needs to get in. Look, we can debate this until the cows come home. But I think Clemens and Bonds and Schilling all belong in this year, and I think Gary Sheffield belongs in. If, if, if those four get in this year, I will say, uh, uh, you know, justice done 
That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave this morning with a little music from Lane Hardy and the ground I grew up on. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.